0: Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. And this week, we are going to be talking about the death penalty. Pope Francis, did he change the death penalty? And what does this mean? And we're going to be talking about it. Why? Because Pope Francis wants us to. But we're also going to talk about Cardinal McCarrick. And he doesn't want us to talk about Cardinal McCarrick. We're going to talk about the death penalty, China, Cardinal McCarrick, Pope Francis, and victimism. It's going to be a wild ride and you're either going to want to share this with all your friends or unsubscribe by the end of the show. So sit back, relax, or don't relax. It's The Jason Jones Show. And this episode is brought to you by The Vulnerable People Project. Standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world at the most vulnerable moment of their life. Victimism is not allowed at The Vulnerable People Project, so go to our website at the dot www.thegreatcampaign.org Hey Jason Aloha Mario It's been a while. It's been a long time. We were going so well and then then happened then I hit the road and you got busy with work Yeah yeah where you where have you been all over the world? No just Washington DC. I went to DC That's- for a week and then before that, we actually, I got new equipment and we were figuring it out. So this show should sound a lot better than the other shows.
1: Oh, I see, I see it in the audio waves. It looks, looks powerful. Does
0: that look amazing? And I deadened my funny. office. I put mufflers up with thumbtacks.
1: <laughs> Which means the silences are going to be that much just nicer to hear.
0: I hope so. There you go it's the plan it's the plan and I've been
1: busy and I've been busy uh building um a media company. We'll be launching soon um but uh but yeah, I'm deep into it I think on Monday. Monday's a big day for
0: for ma Can we talk about it or now?
1: yeah, yeah, yeah um it's pretty much an outdoor media company based out of Oakland and Michigan. I'm actually gonna be moving to Michigan uh the company's called be alive and um and yeah, I mean, we're still trying to find exactly our voice and our type of stories that we'll be telling. But we'll definitely see some cool content of people that enjoy being outside and surfing and uh, fishing and, and so on. And uh, I look forward to, to like building a little tribe of creatives, creator, uh, creators and storytellers to, to find stories in that, in that
0: realm. Yeah, we need to get people back outside, right? So this is going to inspire people to go back outside, to put down the, the, the video game controller, stop playing Fortnite,
1: Pretty much, and pretty go much outside. Yeah, I don't know what Fortnite is, but yeah, I think that, <laughs> that's right
0: on. Well, it's a company I think that went from like zero to a billion dollars in one year, and it's hypnotized oh, all of the children in the planet Earth. I was so excited to see when I was in D.C. my wife texted me a picture. So in this game, Fortnite, it's like a little battle game and you build and you shoot and you get in shopping carts and zoom around this little battlefield. But my kids found a shopping cart in a park. And so all day long, they were pushing each other around in shopping carts, playing Fortnite.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Have you, have you played it?
0: Yeah, I I did actually. The third time I played, I won, which just baffled Mm -hmm. my kids. Mm -hmm. But what I did was, so you start with a hundred players from all over the world and, um, you run around and shoot each other and build things and hide and look for loot. But what I did is I went and found a bush and I hid in that bush till there was like one person left. And then that one person fell off a building that they had built themselves and died. <laughs> and so wow. I won without ever having to build anything or get a weapon. Wow. And my kids exciting. were like, dad, if you could have put that on YouTube, you'd be famous. Wow. But and alas, not, I'm not famous. Game. I, you can play on your phone. My one son prefers it on the phone, and then my other son prefers it on the Xbox. There you
1: go. You just, you just plugged it.
0: Yeah, and this episode of The Jason <laughs> Jones Show is brought to you by Fortnite. Fortnite and The Jason Jones Show, taking over the world. We'll be worth a billion dollars in a year, too, at this that's, rate. At this that's this hope. That's the hope.
1: <laughs> uh, hey tell me a little bit about uh, dc I, I don't know where you can share
0: <clears throat> well no i can share a lot so i went to dc i'm working with a was a priest reached out to me and there's a community in nigeria that's facing they're in they're in uh, danger they're they're in a very um i don't want to give out i don't want to say where they are but they needed to be moved so they asked can we bring them to the united states or can we get them to another country and then we looked at all the options and we realized it would make more more sense just to raise money and move them to a different part of Nigeria. So I went to DC and this priest, um, this Nigerian priest met me there and a philanthropist and we met there. And then we met with a friend who's um, a former, he's a former FBI agent who ran um, the FBI office in that part of the world. And we just looked at our options. And so we're going to move them. And then I gave a speech I met with people from different government agencies and just advocated on behalf of the vulnerable from the child in the womb to the Yazidi to Christians in Nigeria, got to go to a party that a friend threw. I, I lived in DC for many years and she threw a party for a priest who was moving to Rome. And so there were dozens of friends, many who I haven't seen in over 10 years. Wow! So it was just, it was, and I was writing. So I got a lot of writing done when I was on the road and, uh, published a couple of articles. So yeah, it was, it's been a busy couple of weeks. I had friends visiting in Hawaii from all over the world. And then there's some folks in the entertainment industry that actually came to Hawaii to help me on a script that we're working on. And um, then they met me in DC and we worked on the script more. So in between meetings and I did EWTN uh, pro-life weekly, uh, an interview on pro-life weekly on EWTN. And so in between all of my meetings, and giving a speech and doing television, we, we worked on a script. And I, got, and I wrote a couple of articles. So it was a, it was a good week. Wow.
1: Productive and, and social as well, it seems like.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's social. I think that, you know, through the, the apostolate of friendship, it's not that we look at our friends as means to an end, but that sort of all of my friends are cohorts. And we're all sort of on this great campaign to build a culture of life to leave to our posterity and to honor, to honor the gift that we have been given by our ancestors, this beautiful constitutional Republic. And, um, so yeah, it's, it was amazing. Can I tell you, I was so bitter. I had, I had been home for 12 weeks, which is the longest I had been home in 15 years. What that stretch. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I know, I've known, I've known my wife for 15 years and she pointed out that this is the longest I had been home since she met me. We've been married 13 years. So when I was flying to Washington, D.C., I was a little sour. I was was feeling sorry for myself. I was like, man, I'm back on the road again because between now and Thanksgiving, it's going to be kind of relentless. We have two movies we're shooting, one of them in Hawaii, so that's going to be great. A reality show we're going to be doing in Hawaii. We have two films coming out in theaters, maybe three this fall and winter. And so it's gonna be really busy. So this just wonderful 12 weeks working from home, getting to write, starting this podcast, spending so much time with my family. And then so I'm on this long flight, this 13 hour flight from Hawaii to Washington DC. I was feeling sorry for myself. (laughs) And then as the plane descended into Washington DC and I looked out and I saw our nation's capital. I got my bags and I jumped in my Uber. I'm looking around and I thought, Man, you are a goofball. You know, because Mario, I set out at 17, but then really serious. I got serious at 19 and wrote out this little plan that I wanted to develop relationships with influential people from politics to government to media. And now here I am in Washington, D.C., meeting with people at different government agencies, speaking for an organization to hundreds of people, doing a national television interview. I have... You know, some of the founding fathers of hip hop, believe it or not, were coming to meet with me in Washington, D.C. to talk about a film that I'm working on. And I said, Man, you are just pathetic feeling sorry for yourself, you know? And then, and then I'll brag. I got a four and a half star hotel for $120 and Priceline. There's another (laughs) plug Fortnite and Priceline. Boy, there you go. Buy stock now. They got plugged by the Jason Jones show. And then, and then I, um, then you're not going to believe this. I get to my hotel room. I throw down my luggage. I, put, you know, I hang out my suit. And then I turn on the television and I jump into bed. And from here to eternity is on the TV. And from here to eternity is uh, Frank Sinatra's in it, Burt Lancaster, set. And the weeks leading up to World War II on Oahu at Schofield Barracks was shot in D-Quad of Schofield Barracks. Hmm. And I was stationed at Schofield Barracks in D-Quad. So the very place where Frank Sinatra where he shot this film before my father was born, I lived in those very same barracks. Wow. So I turned on the television and I can see, I took a picture of it. I'll I'll, I'll send it to you. Maybe we could put it in the show notes. Yeah. I snapped a picture because I could see right into the window of what was where I lived when I wrote my 40 year plan to protect children from the violence of abortion. I could see right through the window. And I thought, what are the odds? Huh? Is that strange to you? Does that sound strange, too strange for the the world to hear? But it's just one of those things where I feel like that God winks at us when we set out to do something. And I, I took the picture and I said this, I took out my cell phone, I snapped the picture. And to me, it's, it was just absolutely unbelievable.
1: He winks, and it sometimes feels like he sings. And the part of the, the song that reminds me of uh, 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 this story that reminds me of the song is just, it's like a chorus, you know? And he's just repeating the, sweet, the sweetest part of the chorus, and, uh, which is this, like this scene, this list that you've made uh, to serve the vulnerable. It's just a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story.
0: Yeah, and my silly plan was just based on one thing. I felt that I had no influence, no power, and I needed to influence folks with influence and power. And that I would never be a person of influence, wealth or power, but I could be the friend of those folks and then try to inspire them. And that's kind of just where it's it's been 29 years now. It's been a 29-year journey. Um and yeah, so it's silly that I was feeling sorry for myself and then I and, and then I landed and then I and then I woke up the next morning and I went to my meeting with this with this priest and this philanthropist, um, and then you know it all broke. And maybe we can talk about this. Maybe <laughs> this will be the title of the show: Pope Francis, you know, tinkering with words on the death penalty, just tinkering with words in the catechism, changing absolutely nothing, but creating confusion, division, anger. Actually, several young kids, students I met at different Catholic universities, emailed me or Facebook messaged me that they were so confused by this recent, uh, you know, announcement that the Pope is changing the catechism on the death penalty. And it was just so frustrating. It was just so frustrating. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say what I've been thinking for a very long time. And I don't even care about the consequences to me personally because I'm just fed up with it. And so I wrote uh, an article for Catholic Vote mm-hmm. called um, Renee Girard's prophecy. 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 What's wrong with my mouth? Mm-hmm. Rene Girard's prophecy, Pope Francis and the death penalty. And, and Rene Girard in 2012 gave uh, a lecture or an interview where he talked about. And he actually he's written about this in, in several articles and in his in one of his books. But he said that, that they, you know, he talks a lot about victimism, which is people who profit from feigning concern from the vulnerable, but they actually exploit the vulnerable for spiritual, economic, cultural, or political power. And I feel Pope Francis has just revealed himself as a victimist because, you know, just days after the, you know, another eruption of a predatory homosexual abuse scandal this time with Cardinal McCarrick, this, this, this announcement that we're changing the words in the catechism hits the press. And so Catholics are talking not about McCarrick, not about the corruption of our bishops, not most of our bishops. Most of our bishops aren't corrupt, but sort of like children in Chicago, families in the south side of Chicago who have a code of silence. They may not be the ones doing the drive-by shootings that are killing innocent people, but there's this code of silence. And I could expect that among children, but, but we, ha- we have a code of silence on Cardinal McCarrick. And where, why it struck me so hard, Mario, is when I moved to DC in 2000, I was, a, I was in my 20s, wasn't Catholic, but working in the pro-life movement, I was around a lot of Catholics, mm-hmm. a lot of priests, and it was a regular theme at parties to hear people talk about McCarrick. And I heard in the early 2000s at every Catholic party, people joking about rumors that he would take priests on retreat and then there would be one less bed. And then he would ask priests, you know, pick a priest to come to his bed. And then now we know that this is actually the case. At the time, I found it unbelievable. But I did wonder why we were hearing it all the time. Now we know it's the case and that the people, the the seminarians or priests he picked would refer to him as Uncle Ted and he would forever call them his nephews. Wow. So they were like initiated or hazed into this. It's like a prison gang or something, except they're effeminate and weak, pasty, you know, and, and how many priests our nephews to Cardinal McCarrick, how many bishops knew? We know that Donahue of the Catholic League knew, he knew this was a fact and that this was happening and there was silence. And for the the Pope to use the death penalty, I'm so used to the death penalty being an instrument, a shield Mm -hmm. to protect Democrat politicians from abortion. Whenever abortion comes up, they say, what about the death penalty? Well, now it's being used as a shield to predators, preying on seminarians. Yeah. And and I, I was just so angry. I said, I don't care. I'm going to say something. I'm not, I don't work for, you know, the Vatican. I'm not a PR man. I'm a lay Catholic man. Mm-hmm. And as a Catholic man, it is my duty to stand for the vulnerable. Imagine you're a homeschooled kid raised in a pious Catholic family, you go to the seminary and then only to be preyed upon by a bishop, by a cardinal. It's not it's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. It's completely unthinkable. Yeah. And then the week this all happens, the Pope fiddles with the catechism on the death penalty and changes absolutely nothing. This kind of victimism needs to stop and and we need to be bold. And uh, among other things, I'm going to be writing in the coming weeks that we need to disband the USCCB. My organization, uh, the Vulnerable People Project, is going to be calling for the disbanding of the USCCB and the laity need to be unshackled. This investigation needs to be taken away from the bishops Hmm. and we need lay Catholics and uh, non-Catholics to investigate these, you know, these predators these homosexual predators, and that's what they are. And I'm not trying to bash people with same-sex attraction. But, you know, to to, to solve a problem, we need to, to call it like it is. Yeah. Yeah. There are men with same-sex attraction that were preying on young men. They're not pedophiles. You know, they're they're homosexuals and they're predators. And if you're out there with same-sex attraction, you should be the loudest, I tell you what. You should be the Catholics. We need to be the loudest. And non-Catholics, the same-sex attraction, need to say, listen, when, when that guy Milo, remember when Milo came out and said this sort of predatory behavior of older men on younger men is just normal? And I think he said he was, he, his first quote-unquote relationship with, was, was with a with priest, I think he said, mm-hmm. Father Mike or something. Unbelievable. And then Bishop Barron gives this really weak article that conservative Catholics are sharing. that's so great. I don't think it's great. You know, he's talking about, well, it's basically, you know, the devil's real and the devil made him do it. Yeah. I don't, we don't. Yeah, of course. But this is a serious problem that needs, we need to deal with brass tacks. We need, we need to be, you know, we need to get down. We need to be serious. And it's, it needs to come to an end. And so I think the bishops need to be stripped of almost anything that doesn't have to do exactly with what is their immediate responsibilities, the sacraments, and making sure that Catholics have, the you know, a Catholic education. They need to be out of politics. They need to, um, you know, and they need to clean house. And those good bishops listening, and I know because I've gotten emails that bishops listen to our show, even though it's so new, we've had three bishops Email us and or call. Um, you need to sing like a bird. You need to sing like a canary. You need to say everything you know. We need to know. And if there's a cover-up, take to Twitter. Take to Facebook. If you're a seminarian, I want to see the seminarian Me Too thing erupt. Yeah. Every seminarian who's been preyed upon, we need to hear about it. Because um, it needs to come to an end. And then as for the death penalty... You know, at the same time, we, we have the Vatican cutting a deal with the, with China on the official church, the national church. There needs to be no deal. And the, until forced abortions, the two-child policy now, and it's still the one-child policy in many places, but I don't care. It's still forced abortions. And 90% of all executions in the world take place in China. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We had the uh, Pope Francis's guy on Catholic social teaching say that China... Uh, best represents china is the best uh is the model of catholic social teaching really said- a country that has forced abortion yeah <laughs> forced abortion i'm gonna get his name i'm gonna pull it out but a, forced it's a, a guy that said that or did the
1: pope a cardinal
0: okay. not cardinal that works for the pope it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna pull it up but yeah let's look at what china has forced abortions it has of the executions in the world take place in China. Catholic social teaching has always argued that a just social order is grounded in the right to private property. Subsidiarity, the idea that um, a thriving civil society, that there are thriving intermediary organizations between the state and the person, Well, the Cultural Revolution took care of that, didn't it? And yet we're going to hear nonsense that China is the closest representation to Catholic social teaching. That's just vile. There's, you know, there is no subsidiarity. They deny the transcendent moral order. They're materialists. They deny the incomparable dignity of the human person, the Imago Dei. Um solidarity really in China where children who are born outside of permission from the state are referred to as black children, like black market children, they're black children, illegal persons and live outside of the law, sort of like, you know, illegal immigrants, in the United States who are lured into a dangerous underground economy and exploited. Um, Yeah, that's China. Um, So what I'm hoping is, all right, Pope Francis, the death penalty is inadmissible. There were 22 people executed in the United States last year. China, Pakistan, Iraq, and Iran are where most death penalties come from. Most executions happen every year. I can't wait to see the Vatican (laughs) forcefully stand up to China, Um, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Pakistan. And if he doesn't, it's going to be clear to me that this is just meddling in American politics to empower politicians who support destroying the child in the womb to say, well, they're just as pro-life as their Republican friends. They're they're, they're Republican they're running against. That evangelical Republican who's pro-life but supports the death penalty, which, of course, the Pope didn't change. We all know that... um, the unchanging and unchangeable teaching of the Catholic Church is: states can use the death penalty to promote the common good. Now, I have argued, you know, for, for longer longer than I've been Catholic, that it's imprudent in a modern centralized society to have capital punishment. And I've argued for a moratorium on the capital punishment in the United States but there's no country in the world where we would want to argue for a moratorium on the death penalty more than in China. China has forced abortions. China denies private property. China doesn't acknowledge a transcendent moral order. There is no law above the communist party. They deny the imago day. So if there's one place in the world, it is prudent that we must demand a moratorium on the death penalty is China. I think it's the largest, um, I think it's the largest Catholic country in the world. And and if you, if you go by real numbers. Mm. So don't quote me on that. I could be wrong or just tell me, no message us. But uh, I hear that thrown around a lot. So sorry for that long time, but this is what I was thinking of when I was meeting with this priest from Nigeria. And by the way, the priest from Nigeria asked me why the Holy father has been just, week on speaking up for Nigerians and Nigerian Christians and Catholics. And I I told him about the time I was in Iraq and the Holy Father was beaming images of wild animals onto St. Peter's. This, this uh, Chaldean priest brought that up to me and he said, why, why is the Holy Father beaming images of wild animals onto St. Peter's instead of images of beautiful children of Iraq, children of Kurdistan, Chaldeans, Yazidis, Muslims? we being slaughtered by ISIS. And I didn't, I didn't have, um, I didn't have an answer for him. Um, the,
1: the Bible might
0: have one. Um, when you were saying this, it
1: reminded me of, of Matthew 23, um, Moses seat line, uh, the verse. Do you know that one? I don't. Um, I used to remind myself, uh, it being 23 as the Michael Jordan shot. Um, Because he says, this is Christ speaking to his, his apostles. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So practice and observe everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy burdensome loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Some interesting dynamics there between like the authority uh, this transcendent authority or this authority that is given to them through the transcendent, but, um, but that they themselves cannot apply. Uh, so do as they say, it's really interesting, isn't it?
0: Uh, no, it is very interesting. And I right, do as they say, but, but unfortunately, you know, when you, you have like Pope Francis or like, you know, Bishop Sorando,, Okay. So it's Bishop Sorando who is the chancellor of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences and the Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences. This is the guy who came out and said, China is the best implementer of Catholic social teaching. Can you imagine if you're in the underground church in China, what a kick in the gut this is to hear while your underground church is being raided? But it really tells you their mindset, it really tells you their mindset. These, these guys are really unbelievable. They're unbelievable. And we, as the Catholic lady need to say, enough is enough. Just enough is enough. I'm going to stand with the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, the Yazidis, the child in the womb, the poor, you know, we have, all they do is they, they, they just seem to have, what is it, what do they call this? Trump derangement syndrome. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we have unemployment is the lowest in 45 years. It's the lowest ever for the African-American and Latino communities. ISIS has been destroyed. And um, yeah, just frustrating. So that's why I wrote this article, because I just said, I'm going to do it. I, You know, I hadn't heard Catholic radio coming out mentioning McCarrick at all. And I thought, you know, but this death penalty thing now is going to, take over the airwaves. I will say Raymond Arroyo from EWTN is so brave. You know, his tweets, you gotta, you gotta follow Raymond Arroyo on Twitter. The guy is funny. He's talented. He's entertaining. If you get to know him personally, he's the most joyful guy. Like none of this weighs down on him, which just tells you he has faith and hope and charity. You know, he's just uh, EWTN's Raymond Arroyo is amazing. And he's been very brave, but, um, Yeah, so that was, you know, I wrote that article on um, Rene Girard and the death penalty. And then Girardians started accusing me of scapegoating the Pope on these liberal wing of the Girardians. And I'm not a, you know, I'm an admirer of Rene Girard, Mario, but I'm a dilettante, you know, I'm not an academic. Mm -hmm. And what I get from Rene Girard is that we need to stand with the vulnerable, that the Imago Dei is at the center, that anthropology is at the center of the church's social gospel the truth about the human person, and that we have to, all of us, avoid using the weak for gain it, because it's so easy. It's something I have to think about. I make my living off of saying that I live a life for the vulnerable. Even when I raise money for films, I tell my investors, I don't know if you're ever going to see this money again, but you'll have a monument for the vulnerable. You'll have a monument on the truth of the human person and so i always have to be thoughtful of my motives you know i have to put the knife to my own neck but but one thing you know is if you're in a vulnerable position you're in solidarity with the vulnerable probably you can't scapegoat the powerful you can't you know pope francis like he's scapegoating pope francis for what's happening in nigeria no i'm pointing out that this very powerful man isn't talking about it by the way you know he didn't tweet on argentina the big abortion vote they had today not a tweet yeah. I saw that. No tweet on Ireland. Not a tweet on Ireland. Does it shake your faith at all, Mario, when you hear this stuff, or does it just embolden you? The
1: the catechism change shook my faith significantly. Um, And I still haven't heard, like, a really good explanation of it, over it. And I have faith that there's a way around it, but, like... What did he do again? And and is he actually changing a like a teaching? Is it's something I'm still wrapping my head around. Could you explain that a little further? You sort of- yeah, he
0: didn't change anything. Yeah. You know, he said under modern conditions, um and uh the death penalty is inadmissible, but it's really just a lot of sophistry because under modern conditions, what define modern Correct would define inadmissible well what does this even mean you know it's the civil authorities the church has always recognized the civil authorities ha- make that decision the burden is on them and they should be very obviously take that um judges and magistrates and elected officials the police the soldiers when you're talking about using lethal violence, you have to be, you know, again, put the, the knife to your own neck and know that your eternal destination yeah. is is in the balance. But it's the civil authority's decision, for example, on last resort for just war. Who decides whether it's last resort? The Pope can't come out and say this isn't the last resort because um, it's not the Pope's decision. He could argue that it's imprudent. He could admire it doesn't meet just war conditions on this or that ground, but he can't say whether or not it's the last resort because that's not his place. That's the civil authority's place, um, you know. And uh, likelihood of success again is the uh, when, you're, when you're talking about just war, is the Pope in the best position to ter- determine likelihood of success? No, we lay out these principles. And then as Catholics, as Christians, or just generally people who are thoughtful to the common good, will weigh these and be very serious. And that's why I support a moratorium on the death penalty, because I agree with the church's teaching, especially as advanced by Pope John, St. John Paul the Great, that under modern conditions, when you have a centralized government with massive abilities to foreign public opinion through the media to gather information um, that the prudent thing to do for the common good is to argue against capital punishment. But then if you have a nomadic people in Northeast Africa, you know, following their cattle and they have a homicidal maniac among them, they don't have prisons, right? And they don't live under quote-unquote modern conditions. But when does it become a modern condition? You know, and so this is why he's just playing with words, and all the critics of my article, Rene Girard, Rene Girard's prophecy, Pope Francis and the death penalty, they all claim that I was advocating for the death penalty. We'll put the article in the show notes. Nowhere do I advocate for the death penalty. I've been advocating for a moratorium my entire adult life. Um, What I argue is it's victimism. You're using the death row inmates again, this time not to protect pro-abortion politicians, but to to protect McCarrick and his cabal of predators to change the, the headlines. Even now we're talking more about the death penalty. I've been talking more about the death penalty, rambling on and on. So you can see the passion in me, but on this and not McCarrick. But I've been, I've been every time people bring up the death penalty, and I ask them about McCarrick. It's like the first thing I do. What do you think about the, the change in the Catechism? <laughs> what do you think about Cardinal McCarrick, this predator? Yeah. Um. So to me, it was just clearly victimism. And you know, Pope Francis, they'll say, "Well, he talks about the death penalty." I mean, he talks about abortion. When you know, I will admit, I made a mistake. I, I implied in the article that I think that the Pope actually cares about the death penalty. I do not. I do not, because he doesn't talk about capital punishment in China, Pakistan, Iran, or Iraq, where 98% of executions take place. He doesn't bring it up with the Chinese. He doesn't bring up abortion with Argentina in the midst of their battle for abortion. He doesn't bring up abortion when Ireland is in the midst of their battle. So he speaks when it has no point to speak. You yeah. know. When it does no good, he defends those on death row when it does them no good. He talks about abortion when it has no practical impact. But guess what? When he announces the change in the catechism on the death penalty, it was very effective, very good timing to distract from the McCarrick scandal. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I have another article coming out tomorrow, I hope, in a Chinese newspaper where I call on. Pope Francis to end the deal with China on the patriotic church until they abolish capital punishment in China. We'll see how that goes. And then I have another article. Do you want to change subjects? I feel like I've gotten so heavy all of a sudden. Sure. Do you want to say, do, do you yeah, want to say anything on this? Yeah. Are, yeah. are you sure? Uh,
1: not especially in the subject. Did
0: it get you as heated as it got me? Did you see it as victimism? Or did you just think it was, here we go again? Or
1: No. No, I... I I, uh, I was led by it. So exactly what you said happened to me. So I was, I was a sheep in the subject, meaning I, I saw the stuff going on again with, um, just the uh, and, um, and then I saw this catechism thing. So my attention went completely to the catechism stuff. Um, and, uh, I think it, I think it was your article that I actually read that opened my eyes like, Oh wow, that might've been a PR move when we should have been actually focused on like this big thing that's happening in the church. And, uh, and like, to be honest, like I said, changing the the catechism hurts my, the foundations of my faith somehow more than watching these sinners sin, you know, but like terrible. And, and that other one hurts me more. Like the bishops being involved in these type of crimes hurts me more, but the other one just like, um, it's one of the foundations of of, of my belief, you know, I'm, I'm with the church by what it teaches, but not what it, by what it lives, you know, I'm still responsible for it because I'm part of the, the family. But um, I don't know, that was my thought process. So it's been really helpful for you to guide me
0: along. How How have you felt through it? I mean, you're very passionate about it, but like, uh, how does it affect your faith? I mean, in a way it strengthens it. I've been living in the age of Athanasius just this summer as a spiritual exercise. And so in a way, it's kind of like, yeah, here we go. Nothing new here. You know, one of the things I tell my friends who, and, and if you're listening to this and you're not Catholic, this really has impacted the faith of a lot of Catholics. I've gotten emails from young Catholics, older Catholics, and this is how I explain it. You know, when you hear of somebody else's child getting cancer and dying, it does not impact your faith. You know, you can get very good arguments. You can, you know, you can draw on the theology of the problem of the, you know, the apologetics on the, the problem of pain and all of that. But when your lovely child gets cancer, suffers and dies, it rocks your faith. When we read about corrupt popes centuries ago, it doesn't, it's it's funny even, we make jokes about it. It doesn't even rock our faith at all. But then when we have to live through this papacy, this victimist papacy, this PR papacy, this Obama-like papacy, where we have, you know, Obama feign concern for the vulnerable and let ISIS run amok. Then we've got this just maniac as a president that says the craziest things. And then... Isis is just cut off at the knees. And these ethnic and religious minorities are made secure. The world doesn't even notice, right? But yeah, I just say here we go. This is just history and we're living through it and we've had the privilege of I probably wouldn't have been even open to Catholicism if I wasn't if not for reading the writings of St. John Paul the Great when I was an atheist in my 20s. And I was attracted to his beautiful arguments for human dignity. It just changed how I saw the world. He just beautifully described and then discovering Rene Girard. And I would argue, I would ask everyone, and we'll put this in the show notes, but if everyone could read, I see Satan, I see uh, Satan fall like lightning and also read Gil Bailey's books. Um, You just, you can see victimism for what it is. And then our, are uh, So it just inspires me to even just with more abandon, maybe reckless abandon, try to throw my life between the vo- the vulnerable and the violent and the vulnerable and victimists who would exploit them. And we need to just be shameless. And we're going to do two podcasts in the next week. We actually, full disclosure for everyone, I, I did three podcasts in the past couple of weeks, but uh, without Mario's expertise, they just didn't sound I didn't, I didn't want to put them on there. And we're going to do two more. We're going to do two this week. One with Pam Stenzel. They're going to probably come out in the next two weeks on Humana Vitae or the Catholic Church's teachings on sexual morality. And we're going to do one on, uh, we're going to call it Humana Vitae 50 years later, where the rubber meets the road. What do you think of that title, Mario? Where the rubber meets the mean? road. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, Pun
1: intended. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
0: I hope people are chuckling. Okay. So okay. <laughs> the first one's going to be, well, I don't know which we're going to do the order, but one's going to be with Pam Stencil. It's going to be on chastity. And then the other's going to be with my friend, Paul Darrow, who lived a, a life. I don't even, I'm going to ask him, how do I refer to it? Like homosexual, same sex, you know, he has same sex attraction. He lived in the homosexual lifestyle. I don't even know what that, I don't, I don't even know how to talk about this topic. And Maybe that'll be part of it. Yeah, that's the way I, how do I talk about this? I don't want everyone, and the, and the big yeah. thing with Paul is going to be, I don't want to hurt people with same-sex attraction when I talk about the church's teachings on sexual morality, right? And I want to be very thoughtful of that, but I'm not going to kneel to the mob either that tells me that just to express the church's teachings on sexual morality, I'm a bigot. So how do I forcefully Share what the church teaches to a mob, but, but knowing that the mob is oftentimes made up of beautiful, vulnerable, wounded souls who are struggling and suffering. And one of the things I'm going to talk to him about is just how I'm grateful for the language that we use now. Or, you know, one of the reasons I'm so sensitive about languages is as a boy growing up. I don't know about you, Mario. You're, you're younger than I am. But don't be a fag. Don't be a homo. That was like fag and homo, we used more than like the and and but growing up as a boy. And as I got older, I've reflected on it and thought I had one good, very good friend who, you know, um, is, is has same-sex attraction, is living with a guy. We were very close growing up. And all of us talked like that. And if you would have asked me when I was 15 what it meant to be a fag or a homo, I would say, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you're not good at sports. You don't know how to throw a football. That's what I would have said. But to my, but to young people with same-sex attraction, those were heroes to their hearts. And so that's how we have a group of people so obsessed with language. And if you don't use my preferred pronoun, you're going to go to prison. Well, how do we express truth without hurting these people even more? So that's what we're going to talk to Paul about. And then with Pam, we're going to talk about um, the church's teachings on sexual morality and chastity. And like you said, if you're not Catholic or a Christian you're, and you're peeking over into our yard, listening to what we talk about over here on the Jason Jones show. Um, we are not Puritans, right? Mario, we're like, we're not scandalized. Oh no, a man had sex with a man. I can't believe such a thing ever happened. That's not <laughs> my problem with Cardinal McCarrick. Oh no, somebody committed sexual sin. Somebody was lonely and weak and, you know, and, and or attracted to somebody and, oh no, this is unbelievable, unthinkable. That doesn't that's not what bothers us. I think what bothers us is the abuse of power, right? The hypocrisy, yeah. the 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 mafia like um the mafia like behavior, the quid pro quo. It's become very obvious that McCarrick promoted his nephews. So Uncle Uncle wow. Uncle McCarrick. Yeah promoted his nephews ahead of other people. This is wow. what bothers us. We know people commit all kinds of sins, you know? Wow.
1: What's a, uh, before we move on from that subject, what's, what's a good article that uh, has explained the, the situation?
0: Well, at the stream. Oh yeah. There's a great article by John Smirak. I would read, cause maybe I'm a little tough on Bishop Barron, but I, I you know, Bishop Barron's, op-ed to me on, it seemed very, it seemed like PR. It just seemed cleverly crafted, cleverly crafted. Um, so read Bishop Barron's, maybe we can put his, his, um, his article in the show notes. And if you think that I'm wrong and, and he was fair, <laughs> tell, tell us, but then there's John's Merak and he wrote a great article. Here's how to save the American Catholic church from itself. And John talks really about, it's, it's the lady just needs to grab this bull by the horns. There's just so much corruption, it's so incestuous, literally, you know, literally. Um, so that's where I'd start, and you can you can read all around, but the stream's been great on it, in my opinion. and again, like yeah. what's bothering me is it's it's uh being used um using very important issues like the death penalty to distract from what we need to do, which is have a laser-like focus on ridding our church of predators that are in positions of power. And, uh, you know, it's always been my dream. I want one of my children to go to a military academy and become a military officer, and it'd be just wonderful if one of my children became a priest. God forbid, you know, I send one of my young sons to be around one of these perverts. I got to be honest, I don't even like being in the room with effeminate men. You know, just, I don't. And uh, the thought that my son, you know, that if I wanted to send one of my sons to seminaries, that uh, one of Uncle Ted's nephews would be teaching, you know, teaching my sons is just, it's just frightening. It's frightening. It's just maddening. Twisted. Yeah. All right, Jason. Yeah, and I got um, another article. Maybe I'll just, oh, yeah. we can close that. Maybe an article I won't publish. You want to talk about an article I've, I've written, I've sent it to a bunch of my friends, mm-hmm. and they said, whatever you do, do not publish this. Can I tell you what it is? Of course. <laughs> right. I call for reparations to African-Americans. Um, it's a reparations plan. Already, people are going. Is this guy lost his mind? Um, for slavery, segregation, and federally subsidized eugenics through Planned Parenthood, organizations like Planned Parenthood. And what I suggest is that African American, and this is just a suggestion. I'm not. I don't. I'm not an expert on tax policy. We would have to figure it out. But it's just kind of like a general. Like I'm throwing a grenade into the you know into the tent. See yeah, how people talk about this, but. And I, I would support this though—that African Americans, something like every African American would get to pick five years in their life where they don't pay income tax. We can do it five successive years, any five years they want to pick. It's just ten years for all African Americans starting now, or maybe you know for the next forty years, all African Americans get this five years, and they can. So do you follow me? Mm-hmm. So when you're eighteen, you know you don't, and you're working at McDonald's going to community college, you don't use it that year. But now you're 32 and you're working at Goldman Sachs, you're a successful orthodontist. You say, yeah, this is a year, no income tax this year. And what I really want to do to speak plainly is to communicate how the Democrat Party has been responsible for the three great savages to African-Americans, abortion, segregation, and slavery. And the Republicans righted the wrong of slavery. We led the way and righted the wrong of segregation. And we have been fighting and trying to right the wrong of abortion and targeted eugenics since the 70s. And uh, so this Donald Trump is the kind of guy that just might try something like this. So I send it around to a bunch of people I respect and about 90% of them said, have you lost your mind? No. And 10% have said, this is amazing, publish it. <laughs> but the reasons people gave me for not publishing it are really pushing me to publish it because they've said things like, well, we don't want to give people handouts. And I thought, when if conservatives caused, called tax cuts handouts? That's like liberal language, Democrat language. You know, whenever you give a tax break to the middle class or upper middle class or upper class mm-hmm. folks they go, oh, handouts to the rich giveaways to the rich. So when conservatives I respect are saying, you know, if they don't have to pay income tax, it's a handout. Well, that's not a handout. It's their money. We're just not taxing it. There's no handout. And then the other thing I hear is, well, what about all the lost revenue? Well, I have an answer for that. In part, we defund Planned Parenthood. Number one. And number two, I thought a rising tide lifts all boats. I thought tax cuts, grow the economy. So, it's sort of the arguments against it that are making me think I should just clean this up a little bit and still publish it. So, that'll probably come out tomorrow or next week. That's cool. And so that's that's what I've been up to, Mario.
1: That's outside the box thinking. I like it. You get people's attention and you're truthful and you also make a point. Um, I like it. I, I think I read a little bit about it before we, uh, we started talking. Oh, did I did I forge you the article? I think so. You talk about the, the history of the Democrats.
0: Yeah, I um, go into detail. Yeah. I mean, the Democrat Party, the Republican Party was founded for one reason to end slavery, period. You know, a bunch of guys who got their butts kicked in Kansas, bleeding with their rickety old weapons. Marched off to rip in Wisconsin and said, we can't win this militarily. We can't end slavery militarily. These are guys that risked their life, by the way, not victimists. You know, went to war to end slavery and then marched, battered, and bruised from Kansas to Wisconsin, not a short hop, walked. They didn't take Southwest. I don't even know if Southwest goes to Wisconsin. Probably not. But even if Southwest did go to Wisconsin, they weren't going to Wisconsin in 1853. Pretty sure of that. And uh, they founded the Republican Party, and our party has been. Of course, we have opportunists, right? You have two parties, so we've had sellouts and weak, weak guys. And I just had a friend, a politician from Hawaii, go to go to Washington D.C. and met a very prominent Fox News personality, and this prominent. Fox News personality told my friend who's a state rep, you know, when he was going on the Hill to meet a bunch of Republicans, he couldn't wait to go meet. She said, Oh, those guys, they're all a bunch of liberals, bunch of phonies, bunch of rhinos. So my buddy called me and said, can you believe the rhinos? And then I thought about it and I had to say, do you know, almost every kid I had that ever worked for me that stayed in Washington, DC became a part of the establishment. They all started out all excited but they don't think of themselves that way. Probably some of them listen to this podcast and their feelings are hurt. But in the end, they really just become a part of the establishment. Um, Yeah, but so we, that's the reality when you have two parties um, that, you know, establishments form and people are cautious. But the heart of our, our party has always been in an uh, aggressive defense of individual rights, religious freedom, economic freedom and the founding principle. Makes
1: sense. Makes sense. I'm proud to be So. proud to be part of. Um, all right, Jason. Well,
0: I think that's, that's good for this. Well, that's it, Mario. It. Okay. So then, um, Hey, I want everyone, uh, we had, there's a movie coming out that I'm a big fan of that was shot in my home state of Hawaii. It's called, um, running for grace and it's going to be available on, um, digital download, and in theaters, and on DVD on August 17th. And it's a beautiful film that celebrates adoption and foster care. And it stars Jim Caviezel and Matt Dillon. And they both do an incredible job. And it's about a hapahaoli kid. It's a kid who's half Japanese, half white, shot here in Hawaii, set in the 1920s. And um, it was illegal to adopt across ethnic lines. And so this child was orphaned by the great influenza outbreak that hit Hawaii in the 20s and he was Hoppa so he couldn't be adopted by Haoles or by Japanese but Matt Dillon fights to adopt him he tries to adopt him it's a love story this young Hapa kid falls in love as always the kid from the wrong side of the track falls in love with the wealthiest girl in town uh, the, the wealthiest guy in town's daughter but what I love about this film is not only its beautiful look at identity it's celebration of foster care and adoption. Uh, the stars are all Hapa and my kids are Hapa, so that's kind of cool, the Hawaii. But it's a clean, pure, beautiful look at the awakening of Eros in young people. And we all remember what that was like, you know, for me being at the the, the roller rink in the fourth grade, listening to Hall and Oates, you know, hoping the little girl Tara I had a crush on would let me hold her hand and skate. And so this is just a beautiful look at the awakening of Eros, pure, clean, um, beautiful. So you need to download it if it's not in your town or go see it in theaters because it just, it's set in Hawaii in the 20s. So it's beautiful and it's called running for grace. So if you're one of our listeners and we have about like, I think a thousand hardcore listeners right now, loyal listeners. So right there, that's a thousand folks, thousand tickets, thousand digital downloads. And that's the kind of thing that can give a little film like this a big bump to make sure it gets a broader distribution. And that's what we're hoping to do, because when I'm not writing about Africa, about Nigeria, about the Nuba, about the Assyrians, the Chaldeans, or the Yazidis, or the child in the womb, I'm not doing podcasts, Mario. My real job is I produce and market movies, just like your real job is you're building a media network, right? right. <laughs> and this is, what would you call this, our avocation? Sure. I've never heard of that word have vocation vocation our love our passion, passion this pride. is like we do this instead of play softball <laughs> i don't know but it's my mission too right yeah. so but um yeah so that's called running for grace awesome you have any last words brother yeah,
1: that's it thanks jason for um this episode looking forward to a few more of this uh this coming week
0: yeah yeah so sorry guys um Sorry, we were gone for a couple, about a week and a half, but uh, we'll more than make up for it the next week. God awesome. bless. Bye. Aloha. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow me because I am relentless on social media. You can follow me on my personal Facebook page because I like to have a conversation with my friends. You are my friend. I also post a lot on Instagram, a little bit on Twitter, and go to my website, movie2movement.com. That's ww movie T-O, movement.com and you can find out about my latest film projects. Talk to you next week.